There's a song that says indescribable and describes our Heavenly Father, and that's totally true. As we look at today, could God exist from eternity, and should we be should we be disturbed because we can't understand everything we want to know about God? This sermon was originally recorded at Castle Rock Middle School, June 17, 2012. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Uh, today we're continuing a sermon series called, we just started actually last week, called Shedding Light on this book we call the Bible. And just make it shorter, we'll just call it Shedding Light on the Bible. And what we're trying to do is God revealed his word to us for a reason. He didn't write scripture just willy-nilly or kind of train of con- uh, a stream of consciousness kind of thing. God said there's a reason why he put the things that he did in scripture. So we're going to be looking at what the Bible teaches us uh, throughout this summer. So we're pretty excited about that. And then this works um, together in the, uh, with our grow groups. I thought a train was going by. We... Um, one of the things that we're going to also be looking at is um, today specifically about God the Father and how do we explain it. One of the things that really is kind of mind-boggling about God, which we'll get to a little bit later, is eternity. Can God really exist from eternity? So we'll kind of spin around to that a bit. Uh, Martin Luther said, to paraphrase Martin Luther, he said, if you can understand God, he's no longer God. And what did he mean by that? He meant that if you can put great effort to try and squeeze God into kind of your own box of your own rational thought. You can squish it down, squish God down to such a way that you can say, okay, I really get it now. I understand everything about him. But at that point, if you really do get it, that means you don't have God anymore. And once in a while we do that. And and scripture does explain things to us, not fully, but it talks about things that our brain can't get around. So I'm giving you a heads up where we're at. But we do that once in a while with our kids, explaining nature. How would you explain it if your child came up to you or your nephew or your niece and said, "Um, why is the sky blue? My dad was a physics teacher, so he told me the exact reasons why the sky was blue. It was always dangerous if you asked my dad a question like, hey, dad, what's the sun like? Well, it's a fiery ball of gas. Oh, oh. So he would kind of give you the real thing. So how would you explain this to your child? Now, I've heard various things. Some said that God's favorite color was blue, and he took a giant crayon and explained it. Now, that's comfortable to a kid, do you think? I think, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I've got crayons. That's how I color my sky blue. That makes sense. Is that true? No. I actually heard a parent explain with, like, with a straight face that the reason the sky is blue is because most of the world is covered with water, or the ocean, which is true, right? And it's actually a reflection like a mirror from the water. That's not true either, but would it make sense? I mean, kids have seen that, like the, the water, like shining in the sun hits it, and it shines up in the sky. Of course, when the sun comes down and hits the water, it's actually white on the ceiling, but we're not going to get into details like that. Most parents, I mean, maybe you did say, well, uh, we have an atmosphere, son or daughter, and then when the light comes through, it gets refracted, and what we actually see is the blue. Maybe you explain it that way. Sometimes, though, when we talk about God and other things, not just nature with kids or people who are younger, we try and explain it in, in ways that we think is do, are doing them a service. But I wonder in the long run if it's a good thing. Um, I saw this uh, in bumper sticker form, uh, but this I found on the internet. I probably should have cut the name off the bottom, but I couldn't pronounce it anyway. This was obviously a, um, a card that was given after a small child died. So imagine that. Your niece or nephew comes to you, and they look up to you. They know that you know a lot about God, and they say, like, hey, why is my friend Billy... Uh, now in heaven. He had leukemia. What's going on? I think it's a hard conversation to say the world used to be perfect. Adam and Eve brought sin in the world that wrecked everything. 
And now every one of us is affected by sin, and that means little kids can even get cancer. But God is the one who fixes it. That's the truth. But I think that's a hard conversation. I know parents that would say something like this. God just needed another angel. Do you think that makes sense to a kid? I, I think that would. I mean, they think about angels. There's this idea they watch cartoons, or at least any of the ones with, um, tw- what is the name in that? Sylvester the Cat. When everyone dies on there, suddenly the angel form goes up to, up to heaven. So in a kid's mind, they're going, okay, people become angels. Is that true? No. God created all the angels within the six days of creation. We don't know what day. We know that God isn't, they don't reproduce more angels like city of angels or something like that. that, that we know that God, um, when a bell rings, an angel does not get its wings. This is not true statements. We know that when a person dies, they do not become an angel. But does this make sense to someone? Is it beneficial to explain these things? We're not really the first ones um, to explain these things. Maybe you haven't done it like this, and you're saying that's so crass, but maybe when their pet died, you said, well, God needs a good dog like Sparky too. Is, any, is anyone guilty of this? There's smirks and kind of covers of heads at this point, right? right? It might make sense to your child, but is it true? No. We're not the first ones, though, to try and explain who got... I've got to take this slide off. I just can't even... Theologically, I can't handle it. Um, we're not the first ones, though, to try and explain God in terms that make sense to us. In fact, this has been going on for almost ever. You can think of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden when the devil came to them and, and tried to convince them that God's holding out on them. Really what they're trying to do is say, God must think like we think. God must be kind of like we are. So obviously, maybe he is holding out on us, so that makes some sense. Now, speed up a little bit. We started talking about the, um, does anyone know anything about the Egyptian gods? Has anyone read any Rick Riordan books? We'll come back around to that. Rick Riordan is like kids' books. The Percy Jackson series, have you seen the movie? How about that? We'll just lower the bar a little bit more. Have you seen the movie? Have you seen the trailer for Percy Jackson? Okay, we'll just... Did you read about it in People? That's like on the ground right there. That's as low as it goes. So this is this series, and he's got a number of one, a series. One is based off the Greek and Roman gods, which I'll talk in a second. One is based off um, the Egyptian gods. So the Egyptians believed that like the river the Nile, which provided all their water because it would flood. And then remember when Moses came and he turned the water to blood? What that would have meant is our God is stronger than your God. And the people start to freak out. They had a God who is their biggest God, Ra. Have you heard that term before? Ra. So they, what did God do as one of the plagues? Total darkness, which says our God's stronger than your God. They had this idea, this plurality of gods that uh, they understood that men can't multitask. So they had this idea, they understand, because people can't multitask, that someone must be in charge of like the sun, a god must be in charge of the water, a god must be in charge of the crops. So in order to, depending on your field, you have to worship that particular god to bring benefit. I think that makes sense humanly speaking, because does everything go along in a smooth thing? Is it like always perfect sun? Is it always perfect crops? Is it always perfect water? No, so there's kind of this um, undulating kind of idea that's happening in the world, so I think it makes sense that maybe one god is struggling over the other god, and this makes some sense. Well, the, uh, the Egyptians, eventually, we get to a spot that they did not have issues with saying like Pharaoh was a god. You move into, a little bit later, the Babylonians. Remember Nebuchadnezzar? Well, Nebuchadnezzar, um, the story you probably know is Daniel. So Daniel, this is Daniel chapter 6, the, the lion's den. But a little bit before that is Daniel chapter 3. And Nebuchadnezzar gets this idea. He's Babylonian. 
And he says, this is about uh, 600 years-ish before Jesus. He gets this idea. Here's what I'm going to do. I am going to build a gold statue that's 90 feet tall and about 9 feet wide. So it's not as wide, but it's as tall as the outlet sign. You know, that shiny outlet sign as you drive by that's um, uh, next to the outlet mall that they just put up that's humongous. Well, he built a statue that tall, and he says, I want everyone to worship it. And these guys come in with a great line, and I'm not going to quote it exactly, but they said, well, we know our God can protect us. We're not going to bow down to your idol. And even if he doesn't, we're okay with that. We're still not going to bow down to your idol. So they, they refuse, and Nebuchadnezzar is so angry that he cranks up the furnace heat seven times. And you probably know, some of you know the story, as the guards who are going to put the men into the fiery furnace die from heat because it would have just sucked all the moisture out of them. They would have died. That's what I'm guessing happened. So they, they die, and Nebuchadnezzar is watching this, and you can imagine him just like, oh, yes. Because if you're a villain, this is what you have to do. So he's watching it, and he sees four people walking around, not three. And so now he, does, he doesn't know what to make of this. He sends them out, and they don't even smell like they've been at a biker bar or anything like that. It says in Scripture, they don't, have no singe smell. They have no smoke smell. There's nothing about them. And he goes, this is unbelievable. And this is a heathen man's assessment of the situation. Praise be the God of, this is in Daniel chapter 3. Praise be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, Neil and Rochelle haven't announced their baby names yet. There's a couple right there. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut. In, this is a little extreme. You know, it's like, whoa, whoa, back off a little bit here. Um, be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble for no other God can save in this way. The plurality of gods. Do you think that King Nebuchadnezzar dropped all his other gods at this point and said, you know what, this is the only one worthwhile? Or did he just add this god to his quiver? He just added this God to his quiver. And that's how they viewed things. Um, they view it like senators, kind of. Um, how many senators are there in the United States? People are putting their heads down. I'm not going to call on you. Don't worry, Andrew. I'm not going to call on you. There's 50 senators. That's not true. There's two, uh, that's 100 senators. So each state that we have in the union has two senators, even if you only have like eight people like Wyoming. They still get, they, 50% of their people are in politics, I think, in Wyoming. So you've got... Um, 100 senators. Now, do you respect all senators? <laughs> no, no. All right, this is like the kids' lesson, not going as planned. Colorado, as a Coloradan, we have two senators. So those are my senators, right? Those are your senators, and you respect them for their office. I'm not saying about all the decisions they make. How about that, okay? We respect them for their office. Now, you can go, and various senators have more power than other senators, they have more influence than other senators. We recognize that, don't we? But are they our senators? If we, do we care about the, what's going on in Wisconsin or in New Jersey or something like that? No, they're not our senators. It doesn't matter. But we have a certain respect. That's how the people, the ancient people, viewed gods. Make it a little bit easier. When you go out in the street when you're a kid, you had your dad, your friend had his dad, and you always felt that your dad is stronger than their dad, right? That's how it that's how it worked. My dad was a physics teacher, and somehow I thought he was going to be the strongest dad on the whole planet. And that's how you view it. That's how they viewed their gods. My God is stronger than your God until they lose. So if your God defeats my God, that's no big deal. I'm just going to add it to you. I have respect for it. Well, who beats the Rome? I mean, uh, who is it that beats the Babylonians? The Persians. The Persians lose to the Greeks, 
and the Greeks lose to the Romans. So now why do I bring this up? Rick Riordan. Do you know any of the myths from Roman or Greek history? Any of the God names? Yeah, some are, some are really into it. We just, I sent my kids to a, um, a Percy Jackson event at the library where they, they divided into camps and the whole thing. This was just on Friday. It was a fun deal. They enjoyed it. But part of the quizzes that they had to know are some of these Greek and Roman gods that are involved in these books. So I'll give you some of the names. Uh, Zeus, do you know the Zeus alternative? Is Jupiter, I believe. Um, the god of war is, you can name one, Ares, but what's the Roman version? Mars. Okay, you guys are pretty good. Um, let's see if I come up with some of them. Poseidon is the god of, like, oceans and water. Neptune. Some of you guys are really good at this. It's surprisingly well, good. So this is the idea. Now you think about how enlightened and how bright and how smart a people we would have in the Greek and Roman times. I mean, they built aqueducts. They did. Have you ever looked at the stuff they've done? Has anyone ever been to the Roman Forum or Rome and just seen what they've done? You're just like, but these are the same people who think the sun was really Helios, the god Helios, who rode a fiery chariot through the sky. Come on. Really? That's what they believe, but do you think that would make sense? I mean, if I explained to Owen, well, now he's, he's a little too old. So I explained to my youngest uh, a little bit earlier, and said, you know what happens is there's a fiery chariot. It goes through the sky. That's the sun. Or what sounds more fun, that or... It's a fiery ball of gas that's seven and a half light minutes away that has such a gravitational pull that it makes us spin around it. Which makes more sense to a kid? Fiery chariot. If he knew what a chariot was. So I'd have to say it's, it's a fiery 300 diesel. <laughs> that's what I drive. And that's believable that it would start on fire. That was my wagoneer that started on fire, actually. So we, uh, where are we getting with all this? Is it a big stretch? that, uh, is it a big stretch that people would believe that Caesar was a god? If they believe there's all kinds of gods? No. In fact, their mind, gods were, were not infinite and all-powerful and control everything. In their minds, all gods were, were like a couple steps up from human beings. They were just as catty. They were just as uh, licentious. They were just as evil. They were just as tricky as human beings were. So they believe that, like, gods would actually come down and procreate with humans and produce these demigods or titans, they were called. They believe this stuff. So this makes sense. So is it a big stretch for them to say that, like, one of the rulers is a god? As a kid, I remember being monotheistic and thinking, why on earth would anyone believe that a guy is god? Well, it's not that big a deal to them. He's just one of the gods. He's probably not the most powerful. In the midst of all this stuff, the Apostle Paul is traveling in Greece, and this is after Jesus had resurrection from the dead. He's traveling in Greece, and, and Jesus has appeared to Paul, and he goes to a place called the Areopagus. This is, and um, he starts talking. He's so disturbed by all the idols that are in Greece, and uh, in Athens, in Greece, and he, he starts to get upset. So he goes to the center of the town and starts to explain, like, guys, this isn't right. Here, let me tell you about the true God. Now, these guys, according to Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, said all they did is like, talk about this kind of stuff all day. So they said, hey, we want you to come talk to one of our meetings. So they go up Mars Hill. That's what it's called, Mars Hill, the God of War. They went up Mars Hill to the Areopagus, and they start to talk. And Paul walks around. And do you know how this story goes? Paul's walking around, and he goes, you guys are pretty religious. Look at all these uh, look at all these altars and temples that you've built for these gods. 
But he goes, there is, you know, I noticed, you know, kind of way in the back, uh, there's this one to an unknown God. Do you, do you mind if I tell you about him? That's politically correct, by the way. You have all the gods and then even one if we didn't think of it. And they say, sure. So Paul starts to talk. And he says, guys, the God who created the world can't live in temples built by human beings. The God who made the planet, he, from one man, he made every nation of men. And you know what? And he, made, he set out your exact times where you should live and where you will be and who you are. And you know why he did that? This is a quote from Paul. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. So you can imagine these guys leaning in going, okay, you're trying to tell us that there's one God. He goes, what's more? We should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by man he has appointed, by the man he has appointed. A couple things that we want to look at there. Number one, don't think of the divine being as something made by man's design. Does that sound similar to what Martin Luther said? If you can understand God, he's no longer God. I'm guessing there isn't anyone in this room who is still like holding on to the idea of Helios. You know, like looked at their, their mom, they're like, what? That's not true. Is there anybody here who has issues with multiple God idols? Nobody. Nobody's got multiple altars at their house or anything like that. I'm guessing this isn't a real big issue, right? But what is something that we do understand that I think sometimes, this is the question I'm asking, that slides ahead of who God is? Do you understand yourself? Do you understand your own desires? Do you understand your own lusts? Do you understand what makes you happy? Do you understand what you want? How often do you think, we don't follow these other gods, but how often do you think your own desires, your own contentment, your own happiness has been pushed ahead of what God says is right? And do you think that's any different than trying to worship these other gods? In fact, sin, I mean, if at the root of it, God says one thing, what are you saying whenever you sin? God, I do not believe you. In fact, God, I think what I think is more important than what you think. What do you think the Apostle Paul would say to us? I don't think it'd be all that different. I think he'd say, repent, because God is going to judge us. Not just by this idea that we say, God, you're really important. He's actually going to judge us by how we lived on this earth. And you think you've cut it? Have you always held God above all things and said you are the Almighty One? What does it mean in Scripture when God says he's a jealous God? God says, I, I'm it. I don't want any affection to go to any other thing, to any other thing you've made, to any other idea. I don't want it to go to you if that affection should be going to me. The way I explain it is as a husband, and I've said that before, I'm a jealous husband. I'm not a creepy husband that makes my wife have no male friends on Facebook and sit in a closet, am I? I'm not, by the way. <laughs> There's pause. That's not how I am. But do I want the husbandly affection that should be going to me as her husband going to anybody else? 
absolutely not. I'm a jealous husband. That does not fly. And God says, how many gods are there on this planet? One. And I do not want your affection, your love, your devotion, your honor to go to any one, any one thing, or you instead of me. Otherwise, repent because judgment's coming. What do we know about our God? The God you have is the only God. Your God is the only real God. Your God is so vast and amazing, you cannot understand him. That's why he's God. Does anyone understand eternity? Just think about eternity just for a second. Is this, did this bother anyone else as you are growing up? Am I the only one who would lie awake as a kid trying to understand eternity when my parents said, they just mentioned in passing, like, oh yeah, God's been around forever. I'm like, okay. Then I go to bed, I'd be like, forever? Like forever, ever? Like longer than Mrs. Kerner next door? I mean, that's like pretty close to forever, but I would just think in my head, there had to be like just this little blip, right? There had to be like the start, right? That makes sense to me. Okay, then I'd be okay with it, but then that's not true. And all I was trying to do as a little kid, and maybe you've tried to do the same thing, is squish God into something that I can understand. Here's how God describes himself. You tell me if you understand it. God says he's one God, but three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Do you understand that? God says he's eternal. Do you understand that? God says he is all-powerful. Do you understand that? God says he has been around since forever. Do you understand that? Just to get numbers for a second. We just remember we were talking about those uh, $1,000 bills stacked up. And we got to the number 10 to the 26th power, and it was, that would have been a stack of $1,000 bills that went to the sun and back like 54 million times. And to, to travel that distance, you'd have to travel at the speed of light for 1,000 years. And someone said to me, like, well, that was really great, except we can't travel at the speed of light, so I don't even get what you're talking about. Now eternity, that's only 10 to the 26th power. Eternity is forever. Can you get your mind around that? But it, just because you can't get your mind around it, does it mean that it's not real? I don't get eternity. I don't get that God's all-powerful. I don't get that God is everywhere. I don't get the vastness of the universe. I don't get all these things that makes my head hurt. I don't get the triune God. But I do get that God loves you. I do get that. When he sent Jesus, he said, and another thing that we can hardly understand is God said, it's necessary for me God to take on human flesh. And you say, why? God said, so that I can redeem those under the law. I have to live under the law. So he had to take on flesh. I don't get that. It's not two boards glued together, like divine God and divine and Jesus and a human being glued together. That's not it. The Bible says that's not true. It's not a drop of humanity in an ocean of divinity. It's not that either. Somehow, perfectly co-mingled and one human being is the God-man, Jesus Christ. I don't get it. But God says it's true. And God says that God-man lived a perfect life. And God said he had to be, he didn't just lay aside his, uh, his human nature at this point. I mean, just lay aside his divinity. Like Nicolas Cage lays aside his angelness and city of God. Is that what Jesus did? Like he was God and then he became, there's a lot of head nods there. Uh, the, the God, he comes down. Is that what happens? So now he's just a man? Well, then it wouldn't count either because he could have lived a perfect life. He's the only one who would have gone to heaven. In order for his death to mean anything, 
In order for his death to, to work for you, he had to be true God and true man, perfectly co-mingled in one. I don't get it. But I do get that God loves you. I do get that this God that we can't even fathom said this is what's necessary. I do get that God said whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have not just a temporary life, an eternal life with him. Amen.